Hey everyone, welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap. As always, I'm Corey and I'm here with my husband Matlock. Hey Matlock. Hey, how you doing? Good. Today, yeah. we're looking at Amos 1 to Nahum 3. So we're looking at Amos to Nahum. There's quite a few yes. books in there. Yeah, this should be fun. That are represented. So let's jump right in. Okay, Amos chapter 1 <clears throat> of these minor prophets getting us started out today. So Amos, we learn right away that he was a shepherd turned prophet. So he was called by God to deliver a message during the days of King Uzziah of Judah, uh, who's a really interesting king. And uh, also this coincided with the beginning of Jeroboam's reign in northern Israel. So this is Jeroboam II, uh, king of Israel, who is not a great king, but uh, from a worldly state, from a human standpoint, he managed to conquer territory, uh, quite a bit of territory. So Amos prophesying during the reign of Uzziah of Jerusalem and Jeroboam of Israel puts him as a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah uh, and the prophet Hosea. Okay, so do with that what you will. There's a few different prophets of God at this time. So uh, in Amos chapter one, Amos uh, calls for God's judgment, he he expresses God's judgment on Damascus, which was the capital city of the nation of Aram or Syria, and also the cities of the Philistines, as well as the city of Tyre, uh, the nation of Edom, and Ammon, which uh, and its capital city. So the nation of Ammon and its capital city, which was Rabbah. In Amos chapter 2, uh, he talks about God's coming judgment on Moab, on Judah, and on Israel. So things are getting close to home for the Israelites and the Judeans who would have been listening. Uh, in Amos chapter 3, this is a prophecy to Israel, directed towards Israel. Uh, and God says to them, you know, I chose you. You agreed to walk in my ways, but you turned against me. And I, I tried to reach you with prophets. I tried to reach you with uh, various enemies coming against you. But now an enemy is going to overtake you. And as a result of this overtaking uh, of you being overtaken, your high places are finally going to be tore down. In Amos chapter four, we see God recounting all of the things, all of the steps that he's taken to encourage Israel to come back to him. So we hear him talking about prophets, about famines and droughts, trying to get the people's attention to ask God, you know, what's going on? Bad crops, plagues of locusts, plagues like the Egyptian plagues that they had gone through thinking, you know, if I give them the plagues of Egypt, then for sure they're going to ask, why is God making us go through this? Uh, that he's brought warfare against them, destructions of cities against them, and nothing, nothing has uh, inspired them to turn back to God. So there's this really ominous end to Amos chapter four, and you should read it for yourself, but essentially God is saying, prepare to meet my me in my judgment. <clears throat> So really interesting that this idea that God was was arranging their history, he was doing all of these things to try to get their attention, which, you know, just 
it makes me inspired to begin paying more careful attention to my life. (laughs) Doesn't it? You like when, when Amos uses the, the kind of language that he uses where God has been trying all along to get a hold of them and trying to get their attention in pretty much any way, uh, possible that he's outlined for them in Deuteronomy already. Yeah. And yet they're not. It just goes to show you how hard people's hearts can actually be. Yeah. They're just explaining it all away. Right. It's like, and you know, when Christ says new Testament, testify to these people about Christ and then, you Mm -hmm. know, kick the dust off your feet and leave. Don't, don't, don't like shake them down. Like this is it. Cause they just can't hear. Mm -hmm. Some people are just so hard. It's like not really about that. And that's kind of like what we have here. And to the point where God says, get ready to meet your maker. Yeah. Which is, that's quite the statement, it right? It is a statement. Yeah, it's yeah. like, all right, you're going to stand before me. Like, that's right. And not that Yikes. that matters to them either, right? And it's like, yeah. Yikes. Powerful words. Okay, Amos chapter five. So in this, because now it's solidified that Israel is going to be um, uh destroyed, which also keep in mind, Isaiah and Hosea, those contemporary prophets, they are also saying the same thing. So Israel's getting this message. Uh, He, Amos takes up a lament, a mourning for Israel. And in that the Lord asks Israelites, he asks Israel to still seek him and live. So there's this, there's this, there's the statement, don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to Beersheba. So these were apparently places of idolatry in Israel, uh, which we we do know that there were high places there, sometimes legitimate, like back in the time period of Samuel, they were legitimate high places because they were just worshiping God. After the time period of the temple, um, they became places of apostasy and idolatry. So instead of going there, seek God. Because if you don't, if you don't see God, judgment is coming. There's descriptions given of injustices and examples given like how uh, their oppressive taxation of the poor and how people in positions of power are accepting bribes, things like this. Uh, Also, there's this claim that uh, Amos makes. You say that God is with you, Israel, but he isn't. So they're claiming things in the name of God that are not true. God will come to destroy you if you don't stop. Uh, And there's a quote here from verses 14 and 15 of Amos 5 that I wanted to read you. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. So that remnant of Joseph uh, is an an allusion to Northern Israel because Israel was also known by the biggest tribe in its organization, which was Ephraim, which is the son of Joseph, okay? All right, Amos chapter six. So this chapter accuses the leaders in Israel and those who are wealthy uh, in Israel and Judah actually for being complacent. So it is your job to lead the people of Israel and instead you don't care. You're just happy with your wealth. You're eating and you're drinking lavishly. and You're not really concerned at all with the welfare of the nation, with the welfare of your brothers and sisters of Israel. So God is bringing judgment on you because that was not a part of the covenant of covenant of God. And that is not a part of serving God. In Amos chapter seven, This is really interesting. God gives Amos three visions. The first vision, Amos sees a swarm of locusts that God was going to send uh, just after the king's 
crop was taken from the people. So as the people, it's, a, it's an agrarian society. So as the people are growing their food, they have to give a certain percentage of that food to the king. Uh, and so they're giving, they're giving their food to the king. Sorry, I just hit my mic. <laughs> um, and now a swarm of locusts is coming right after that. So this would be devastating. Uh, people would absolutely die from this. They would die from lack of food. So Amos asks for God's forgiveness and God's mercy, and God relents in this vision. The second vision Amos sees, he sees a great fire that's coming to consume the land, and the water's not even going to stop it in the land. The fire's going to be so much that there's not even going to be water left. And Amos asks God to stop, and once again, God does. Then in the third vision, God shows Amos a wall and a plumb line. So like a measuring line. And he and God says that he's setting a plumb line among his people because he's not going to spare them any longer. Their high places and their sanctuaries and their king will all be destroyed. So um, basically with this plumb line, what he's saying is whatever doesn't measure up is going to go. Um, uh Yes. So also recorded in Amos chapter seven, really interesting, the priest of Bethel, so the the high place at Bethel where there's that golden calf idol, he kicks Amos out of Israel and he alerts King Jeroboam that Amos is speaking against Jeroboam and against Israel. So here's where we learn that Amos is normally a farmer and a farmer of animals and sycamore fig trees. So he's just a normal guy, but God called him to prophesy. Amos doesn't take this well. He's like, look, I am just a farmer and God called me out of here to come talk to you. And now you're trying to kill me. Like he's, he's, he's a, he seems like he was a character. He seems like he was a character. Uh, So Amos at the end of chapter seven prophesies the fullest destruction of exile on the priest of Bethel, that he's going to die in exile, that his wife will be left and will be forced into prostitution because she won't have uh, any means of taking care of her and her family. Her sons and daughters, his sons and daughters are going to be killed in the invasion of the land. um, And his inheritance, that priest's inheritance land will be taken also by the foreign invader. So pretty brutal. Amos chapter 8, in this, Amos sees a vision of ripe fruit. Um, This is symbolic of Israel being ripe to be picked. So you would think, oh, ripe fruit, that's good, yum. No, it means that Israel is ready to be picked by an enemy, to be plucked off the tree. So there's a poetic description of the coming invasion of Assyria. In Amos chapter 9, which is the final chapter of Amos, we see God standing by Israel's pagan altar and calling for the pillars of their temples to be struck so that the thresholds will all shake. And there's and, um, Amos prophesies total destruction. No matter where they're going to go, nowhere, no matter where they're going to hide, God will be against these people, except that a remnant will be saved and will be returned to the land of Israel. So... Harsh words in Amos. Okay, Obadiah. We're looking at the book of Obadiah now. Uh, What's really interesting is that we don't know a whole lot about Obadiah, except that he probably prophesied after the Babylonian destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. So we've got already Israel has been taken out by Assyria. And then a while later, 
uh, Judah and Jerusalem are taken out by the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Um, and this is because we think that Obadiah is alive at this time period because he mentions Edom's reaction to God's judgment of Judah. So the nation of Edom, which exists to the south of Israel, of Judah, I should say, they took advantage of the Babylonian invasion by taking as much territory as they could get rather than helping Judah. They And so Obadiah mentions this. Okay. So Obadiah, in his very short book, he writes judgment against the nation of Edom for this behavior. They apparently killed Judeans who were fleeing from the Babylonian army. So not only were they looking at it as an opportunity to take more land on the frontier between Judah and Edom, but they were also just killing people who were running away from the army uh, and they plundered the land. Um, and essentially the prophecy of Obadiah says that uh, when Israel returns, when united Israel returns to the land, they're going to regain their land while Edom will lose their land. Hmm. All right. This brings us to Jonah, the book of the prophet Jonah, Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, Jonah isn't just mentioned here in his book. Uh, his, he's interesting because he's also mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, specifically verse 25, 2 Kings 14, verse 25. And we're told in 2 Kings that um, Jonah prophesied about the reign of Jeroboam II of Israel. Um, so about the same time as Amos. And um, we know that from the Second Kings passage that Jonah was from Geth Hefer, which was in Galilee, just north of Nazareth. Um, anyway, uh, Geth Hefer, interestingly, was taken by the Assyrians, taken by Nineveh a few decades after Jonah visited Nineveh. Interesting. So. Jonah's not a huge fan of the Assyrians. No one in Israel was really a huge fan of the Assyrians because they were a very brutal people. So right. that's just some background to Jonah. Um, a lot of people have different theories about the genre of his book and whether or not he was a real prophet. But 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, indicates that he was a real prophet and an actual true prophet of God because what he said about Jeroboam actually came true. Right. Okay. Jonah chapter one, uh, probably most of you are familiar with this story. A lot of people know it, even if they don't read through the Bible. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was a capital city in Assyria, to preach. Um, it was, it, Nineveh, depending on the, the time of Jonah, may not have been a capital city yet, but it was still an important city. Um, <clears throat> so Jonah does not want to go. And so instead, he goes in the opposite direction. He goes to the port city of Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea. He boards a boat to Tarshish. Get me as far away from Nineveh as possible. Uh, but a storm threatens the ship. Uh, so the people on the ship pray. They throw stuff overboard. They're just trying to stay alive. Yeah. They cast lots to see whose fault it is because they, they come to the conclusion it must be a spiritual problem. And the lots fall on Jonah. The sailors, these pagan sailors are terrified. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. Jonah tells them, you know, like, just throw me overboard. It's me. 
God wants me dead because I disobeyed his word. Uh, but they, they, you know, ironically, they know that God doesn't accept human sacrifice. So the God of Israel doesn't. So they're afraid. They don't want to do that. They finally do it because their ship is going to sink. And then they pray to ask forgiveness before they throw Jonah overboard. So it's it's ironic because these pagan men are honoring God more right. than the prophet of God. And they make a sacrifice too, mm-hmm. ironically. Right. Jonah chapter two. So a fish swallows Jonah. Uh, he doesn't die. He wants to die, but a fish swallows him and he prays to God for three days and three nights. And at the end of that time, the fish vomits Jonah up and Jonah makes it to shore. So Jonah chapter three, God again tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. So Jonah goes and he spends a day preaching in the city. Uh, His message is very simply that in 40 days time, the city is going to be overthrown. So when the king of Nineveh hears the message, ironically, again, this pagan man, he goes into mourning and fasting and he calls on the rest of the city to go into prayer and fasting just to see if God will relent. And then God relents. So a, a, a second huge irony huge irony of the book of Jonah is that even though by Jonah's time, who's probably contemporary with Amos, like Jeroboam too, the king of Israel, many prophets had been sent to Israel with the same message that they were facing destruction. Israel had not responded. Judah had not paid Mm -hmm. attention to God's prophets. And yet one prophet goes to Nineveh for one day and they respond correctly. With only five Hebrew words says, you're going to be overthrown. Very simple message. Yeah, right. If if it was simple, but that's what's recorded. Yeah, that's what's recorded. For emphasis. So Jonah chapter four. So the first verse says... because God, God, God relents, right? The first verse says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Uh, he asks, he actually asks God to kill him. He's just really mad about the whole thing. Um, the problem here is that, of course, God saves Jonah and Jonah praises God. Right. When God saves the Ninevites, Jonah's angry and wants to die. He's done. He's done, right? So Jonah goes out of the city. He builds a shelter where he could still see the city. Maybe Jonah was hoping that his ultimatum, like, it's me or the city, God. Maybe he was hoping that that would make God destroy the city. Um, And God ends up sending an object lesson for Jonah. So a plant grows up overnight to shade Jonah from the sun. And Jonah's so happy about it. But then overnight... uh, Again, a worm comes and eats the plant overnight and it dies and his shade is gone and Jonah's angry and he's devastated. And again, he wants to die. And God tells him that, you know, Jonah, you're so concerned over a plant that you didn't plant, you didn't grow. You had absolutely nothing to do with its existence. So how can you be mad um, at me who is the Lord and the creator of all mankind, including Nineveh. Cause I know these people, right. I made these people, I created these people. I'm intimately involved with <laughs> <Right>. these people. <laughs> and, and so you're angry over plants. Why shouldn't I want to save these people? These people and their livestock. Mm-hmm. And so I really like the book of Jonah. Um, it's a very atypical prophecy book. Cause in one sense, with all the other prophecy books, you're reading the words of the prophets themselves, like yeah. what they're actually saying. In this case, you're reading about the prophet and the story. And there's it's only, all narrative, yeah. It's all narrative, right? So, so the prophecy itself is the, what the prophetic message is built into the narrative mm-hmm. as opposed to built into the actual, like the actual prophetic 
uh, words he uses, or the predictive prophecy that he uses, are only five Hebrew words. Mm-hmm. Right? You will be overthrown in 40 days. So it's like, that's what we're used to in the prophets. But in this case, what it, do, what it does is it makes you re- re- self-reflect it's as if like God, God's loving kindness is so big. Because he even quotes, uh, right at the sh- it's right near the Shema. Uh, uh, Jonah quotes, right, you're all merciful, you're all compassionate. He starts quoting it because he knows God. Is, he, didn't want them, he didn't want them to be forgiven. That's why he's running away, right? Yeah. Because Assyria, you know, rightfully so, as we know from history, is skinning people alive. Yeah. It's like they're like... Very, very evil. So, but and they've been prophesied to overthrow Israel. That's right. So all around, it's like these guys are evil in, yeah. in, in Jonah's mind. So you can kind of you can kind of get a sense of okay, I I kind of understand where he's coming from from a human standpoint. But at the same time, you have this beautiful story of redemption through his prayer, right? And the final thing that God loves even these people, right? Should I not care for these people? These right? and they repent. Yeah. Of, of hearing it. So you have this really beautiful missiological, I guess, mi- missional story that happens in the Old Testament when God sends somebody to proclaim something, right, to repentance. Yeah. And yeah. it contrasts God's mercy and compassion versus man's anger. That's right. Yeah. And it does Which make yourself really reflect. If you're Israel and God's willing to forgive these people, right? Yeah. He's willing to forgive them and you're not turning away. Yeah. And you're not relenting. It's like it, that. That's like the message here. It's like think about yourself for a moment. Yeah, you're like them, right? You should be like them. You should repent, right? Anyways, you're you're hating on these people, but you're not. Anyway, sorry not to take too much time, but the Book of Jonah is a wonderful book. And it's a really interesting one. Yeah. Okay, we have to move on. So we're going to move on to Micah chapter one. I love the book of Micah. I think it's really interesting. So. Uh, in Micah chapter one, we're told that the prophet Micah, uh, he it's Micah of Morsheth. So rather than the typical Micah son of whoever, it's Micah of Morsheth, which is a place name, uh, probably a suburb of the city of Gath um, at that time. So, And we're told that he prophesied during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So these are kings of Judah uh, ruling in Jerusalem. Uh, puts him as a contemporary with some really interesting people uh, like Isaiah. Uh, So God, in Micah chapter one, we learn that God is going to bear witness against the earth, but specifically he's coming to bear witness against Samaria and Jerusalem. So the capital cities of Northern Israel and Southern Judah. So I should mention at this time, uh, Israel has not yet been taken over by Assyria. Judah has not yet been taken over by Babylon. But northern Israel is getting really close to the time where it's going to be taken over uh, by Assyria. That happens during the reign of Hezekiah. Okay, so Samaria will be destroyed and will be turned into farmland and a vineyard. So it's not going to be a big capital city anymore. Uh, Micah also goes about in mourning. Uh, so he, he takes off his shoes. He strips down. Uh, just like all the captives in Israel will be led to Assyria. So they're going to be stripped and marched to Assyria. So Micah does that as well in Micah chapter 1. And Micah chapter 2, this is... There's a woe that's proclaimed by Micah on the people who plan evil because God is planning disaster against them. So one thing that's really cool about the prophet Micah is that he's all about wordplay. Uh, And it's really hard to see in English. Some translations don't do it super well, which 
I mean, makes sense. They're trying to maintain the, the meaning of the words, but there's some really awesome puns and, and, and similes that go on in the Hebrew. So uh, this is one example that does translate well into English where it's woe to the people who plan evil because the Lord is planning disaster against them. So we learned that uh, the prophets of Israel don't want true prophets of God to speak because it's all bad news. So they, they only, the people of Israel only want liars and deceivers who are going to prophesy to them what they want to hear, which is prosperity, abundance, happiness, fulfillment, increase, right? All of those things, a good time. Uh, but God promises to deliver only a remnant of Jacob, a remnant of Israel. In Micah chapter three, we've got the rulers of Israel and Judah are called cannibals. So rather than leading the people and providing food for the people, they're consuming the people. So these are really bad shepherds. You're supposed to be taking care of the sheep, not cooking the sheep and eating them, right? Uh, there's also this <clears throat> idea that the prophets in Israel and Judah are prophets for hire. If you feed them, if you pay them enough, they prophesy good things, uh, but they prophesy against anyone who refuses to pay them, which is a mark of a false prophet. Mm. Prophets for hire were not good. Okay, so for those prophets, what was going to happen is they were going to have night without visions and darkness without divination would come. Uh, but Micah, on the other hand, would be filled with God's power to declare Israel's transgressions, their sins to them. Micah chapter four. This is a prophecy about the mountain of the Lord, uh, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, Zion. All it's called all of those things in the scripture, uh, specifically in the last days. So this gives this eternal perspective to the upcoming suffering of the people. So though they're going to be judged for their crimes against God, a remnant would be saved. Um, and the kingship of David would return to Jerusalem and the future of Jerusalem is ultimately bright because of who God is. Micah chapter five, we have a prophecy that the ruler of Israel, this messianic figure, will come from Bethlehem because that's the city of David. So mm. from David's uh, line. Uh, and in, you know, this is also where why the Magi knew to go search in Bethlehem, right? right. In, in Matthew, because the, the Magi go to Herod the Great and they ask you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they look at Micah and they're like, Bethlehem, the city of David. Okay, so that prophecy comes from Micah 5. Uh, so the things that this Messiah will do, he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. The people will live securely under them. He's going to deliver them uh, from the Assyrians in Micah. So this represents the enemy of God's people. The Messiah is going to deliver them from the enemy of God's people. So in Micah's historical context, that was the Assyrians. So he said Assyrians, even though he's already prophesied that closer to their immediate context, the Assyrians are actually going to win mm. over Israel and Judah. So there's a little bit of a co complexity going on here in Micah. In Micah chapter six, uh, Micah is told to go plead God's case to the mountains. So to call the mountains as witnesses against the people of God for the covenant. So if you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, Moses talks about this, how the earth itself was witness to the covenant between God and the people. And so God can call as witness the actual creation itself because it's been observing right. Israel and Judah, which is really interesting. So, um, 
Yes, it's it's Micah six is really interesting. It, you know, it goes yeah. through the covenant and how they have failed the covenant. Mm-hmm. Did you have something that you wanted to? Well, I just thought you also have that hint. Now that you mentioned that, you have that hint of uh, can you call? I can raise up these stones to mm-hmm. speak to witness on before me. That same kind of concept with, with Christ, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really interesting here. That there's a lot from Micah that's pulled into the New Testament. Yes. And I think, you know, there's the famous Micah 6, verse 6 to 8, which is so interesting, where Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord? What what can I bring him? Um, And bow down before the exalted of God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So to, to all of these questions is obviously, no, that's right. foolish. Like it's, it's impossible. It doesn't work. And then Micah says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So. And that's pretty much summarizes the Christian message right there. Yeah. Like there's no law that can bring about actual good things. Yep. So it's like it boils down to justice, mercy. Mercy is forgiveness and repentance, right? Mm-hmm. That, that that duality there. And then uh, to walk humbly before God, to be humble. That is pride. We often, I know everyone talks about pride being like, is obviously we always talk about it being a bad thing, but I think we forget just how deep and dangerous pride is and yeah. how intertwined it is with it just who we are. It exalts us. It exalts our position over God. Exactly. And that's always the basis for why God commits judgment. It's like it starts right there. And so essentially this, this message of Micah chapter 6 is we have to follow God earnestly in truth right from a real place inside of ourselves it can't just be following the law it can't like even if micah could hypothetically offer ten thousand rivers of olive oil yeah rivers of olive oil it wouldn't be enough because if you serve god in falsity in falseness from from a from a not real place it doesn't matter right it's not real it has to be real that's right micah chapter seven this last chapter in micah israel's misery becomes exemplified by Micah. So Micah becomes Israel mourning about how corrupt everyone is, where he talks about even family bonds can't be trusted. Like society has been essentially overthrown. Everything that makes us, us, you know, daughter-in-law betraying mother-in-law and son betraying father, all of these things, which, uh, is quoted incidentally by Jesus in the Gospels of the reaction over mm. over who he is. But Israel needs to hope in God. Even though she's going to fall to an enemy, she will also rise again. Uh, God's going to plead her case once she's experienced her punishment, and then all nations will see how God provides for his people and will fear God and acknowledge him. All right, we are going to look at one more book, uh, Nahum, the three chapters of Nahum. So we get Nahum the Alkishite. Uh, could be a clan name, could be a place name, not entirely positive. Um, in chapter one, there's a prophecy about Nineveh about a century after Jonah. Nahum's all about Nineveh, uh, really. So it's about a century after Jonah. And, and basically the, the thrust of it is that because of the cruelty of the Assyrians, um, And because of Israel and Judah's direct interactions with them since the days of Jonah, you know, um, invasions and things like this, uh, 
people probably were much more welcoming of Nahum's message than they would have been of Jonah's, right? So chapter one talks about God's attributes and how he does not allow the guilty to go unpunished. So God is going to cause Nineveh to fall, Nineveh's destruction. Uh, the, the, the way it's said is he has prepared your grave. Nineveh, he has prepared your grave. Uh, Nahum chapter two is a poem that describes the fall of Nineveh. And then Nahum chapter three, this is a woe to Nineveh, again, poetically describing her fall. It alludes to the history of taking a the taking of Thebes by the Assyrian king, which is a historical event that we know happened in 663 BC. Um, and just like Thebes fell to the Assyrian king, so Nineveh will fall. And when Assyria falls, everyone's going to clap their hands in celebration because uh, they've, they've all felt how awful Assyria right. is and how cruel Assyria is. And just for... A historical reference, Assyria fell and Nineveh, its capital city, fell in 612 BC right. to and, the Babylonians. And that's about 150 years after Jonah in that Something zone? like that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's chapter recap. If you have any comments or questions, pop them in the comment section below and we'll get back to you uh, as soon as we can. I hope you have a really great week reading and studying the Bible. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.